Welcome to another edition of Talk with PT. And I'm really thrilled to have uh, a dear man, uh, William Butcher. William, welcome. It's good to have you with us. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. Um, I have to be very careful because I have to watch my P's and Q's. William is a lawyer for those uh, who are listening. And um, he's a, a deacon of our church for, I think it's what, two or three years now, isn't it? Um, well, I'm in my second um second term so it's four years now wow okay mm. Gosh, time has gone um, tell, tell us a bit about you your family <coughs> your connections yeah well i live in colchester with my family um we moved to colchester um i think it was january 2008 mm -hmm. um and we moved from um a small town or village called banstead which is in surrey um, so we came to Colchester in 2008 and we've been attending um, Colchester Baptist Church, Eld Lane, um, from I think it was spring 2008. So um, we, we've been at Eld Lane for about 12, 12 years now. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. And um, you're very involved <clears throat> in various ministries, aren't you, from... Um, I know that you know Ellie, your wife, is involved in the youth ministry, uh, children's ministry, and um, you're involved uh, in Open Door um, as a trustee. Are you treasurer? Um, I'm on, I'm the honorary secretary of yeah. Open Door. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm not the treasurer. I, I don't think. Um, <laughs> trying to pass um, another burden. Well, that's one of my strengths, actually. <laughs> but no, I'm the honorary secretary of Open Door, and um, I also um, <clears throat> do the um, soup run as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. And um, Energize. Um, and what age group is Energize? <clears throat> it's really from about eight to. Um, 11 yeah and and then they could they go on to connect yeah so yeah. it's yeah it's um great but yeah i've been married to ellie for um let's see i've, I've got to get this right for <laughs> um, for yeah coming up to 22 years and, and we have two children max and zara um max is 16 and zara will be um Again, I've got to get this right. Sarah will be 14 on the 31st of May. Fantastic. So just a few few weeks' time. That's lovely. That's lovely. Lovely family, a real gift to us. Okay, I've got uh -huh. questions for you then, William. The first is the same question of four people you'd have <laughs> at dinner as guests. Who would you invite uh, and why? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a really difficult one in a way because, you know, I haven't really seen my extended family for over a year and and i haven't seen some friends so <laughs> i might be quite tempted to to invite them um but no i mean i think the first one that i would invite and i think it's quite a popular choice i think at least one of my fellow deacons has um wanted to invite this person is um mother Teresa, or you know saint Teresa of calcutta as the catholic church now know her but um, for two reasons, really. One, you know, I just admire her, her work and her service, mm -hmm. um, you know, with the poor, you know, with the dying. 
Um, and I very much admire, um, you know, the servant leadership that she exhibited throughout her life, mm. um, you know, which I think is, is very much in line with probably, you know, the, the Christian um, way of leadership on, on the whole. Yes. I think some, sometimes it's, it's not the um, appropriate mode of leadership, but in general, I think that's how we're meant to lead. You know, mm. we need to see ourselves basically as serving. Mm. Um, so that's one of the reasons I've chosen her. And also I hadn't realised until relatively recently that for the first 20 years of, of her vocation as a nun, she'd actually had a fairly comfortable and enjoyable life. She was actually a teacher at a convent school and um, rose to the rank of headmistress. And it was then that she heard the call <clears throat> from Christ to, to actually live and serve the, the poor um, in Calcutta yeah. and to found, I think it's known as the Missionaries of Charity. Yes. Yeah. Um, the second reason, though, that I've also chosen her is that I think it, it's transpired um, since her death that um, privately she experienced bouts of doubts and, and struggle in her religious um, beliefs and, and her faith for, I think, nearly 50 years. Mm. And um, yet she still followed God mm. and she still lived by the Bible. And, um, you know, that certainly didn't come out when when she was actually alive but that has become apparent from letters that mm. have been published and I think it's interesting because one it shows that you don't really know what's going on behind someone's sort of public image but also I think it shows that although feelings and emotions are you know really important at the end of the day, ultimately, I think what matters is is following God, and she did that. Yeah. You know, even though <clears throat> you know she she had this depression, spiritual depression, mm. for a lot of the time. You know, so I think that is a model, really. Um, yeah, very inspiring. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, go on. Second guess, please. Second guess would be. Um, John Newton, who um, I think is best known for, um, you know, the author or composer of Amazing Grace. Um, <clears throat> but um, he, he was um, an Anglican priest um, and a great composer of hymns. But prior to that, he was actually a, um, you know, he was a captain of a slave ship um, across the Atlantic and in his own words you know he was a blasphemer he lived with moral abandon and he said that he'd sinned with a high hand and had made it his study to tempt and seduce others so by his own account actually he'd led a, a really quite sinful life Mm. and um you know he, he he nonetheless met god and god changed his life and um you know he he converted to christianity mm. and then went on to become an anglican priest and to really help others and i think he is an example really of you know how grace works mm. in in somebody's life um so I, yeah, it's a, a really interesting person. 
Absolutely. Thank you. So who would your third guest be? Um, the third guest would be um, a philosopher and, and poet, um, um, T.S. Eliot, which some people will have heard of and, and, and some people won't. Um, but I do love reading and I, I, I do love, um, you know, I, I, I love um, reading fiction and non-fiction mm. and he's a, an author that I have actually um, sort of um, got to know his works over, over the years and again he's an interesting character because he he was born in 1888 and he died in 1965 and when he was young he was a, a brilliant philosopher mm. and he was associated with what was then known as the Bloomsbury Group which was a group of, of writers, intellectuals, philosophers, and artists um, in, in really the first half of the 20th century. Mm. And they were, you know, free thinkers. Um, they believed in individualism. Um, they were mainly atheists. And they, you know, very much sort of concerned with, with what they termed the pursuit of pleasure. That was sort of their philosophy um, and um, Eliot was really on the edge of, of that group mm. and um, in his early life you know he, he, he was sort of quite anti-Christianity and he wrote a number of poems which sort of really mocked the Christian faith in, in a way mm. and yet I think it was in about 1927 you know, he shocked the members of the group by, um, you know, turning to Christ and becoming a baptised Christian. Mm. And thereafter, um, he, he served Christ and wrote a lot of books and poems that, that help people with the Christian faith. And I always think it's quite interesting that apparently he, you know, he lodged with Bertrand Russell, who was a very famous philosopher, very clever man, and, you know, probably one of the most famous atheists of, of all time he wrote a a book called um why i'm not a christian mm. and yeah it's, it's worth a read and and I, I think it's sort of quite odd that you know Eliot actually went on to become a christian mm. even though he was under the influence of bertrand russell yeah so yeah um that's that's a, another person that i find quite interesting and your fourth and final guest um my fourth guest is probably not very well known, at least not outside, say, Anglican circles. But it's the, um, the Reverend Martin Israel, um, who died in 2007. And um, he, was, um, he was a Jewish doctor of, of some, medical doctor of some repute. He was a, a lecturer. Um, in medicine at um, London University um, but he converted to Christianity and became an Anglican priest um, I think in his middle age mm. and he had um, a reputation at least in in the Church of England as being a, a very gifted spiritual counsellor mm. and he wrote a number of books which deal with spiritual and psychological issues um really from a 
from a mystical Christian perspective. Mm. And I have read and dipped into some of his books and I have found them to be very deep. And I've also found them to be very Christian in context. And they have actually struck a chord with me, really. I think he was a very deep thinker, very discerning. And um, some of his books include, for example, a book on the Holy Spirit. Mm. Mm. So um, that's someone that's, you know, quite, quite interesting. Yes. Um, but probably not that well known, at least outside, um, you know, Anglican um, yeah. circles, I guess. Yeah. I came across his books when I was training in um, Bristol for ministry. And uh, I think probably his fame went with his passing, actually, um, mm. um, in, in the sort of noughties. Um, but yeah, wonderful a range of people um, you would have that are fascinating and people who have really shaped society um, in yeah. one way or another, um, who've really confronted either their demons, their sin, or their fears and doubts. And um, very interesting. Thank you for sharing those. Um, second question uh, overall, how, how have your family managed uh, during lockdown one and two? And, and what's been the sort of pluses and minuses? What surprised you? Um, well, it's probably fair to say that we, you know, we haven't done too badly during the pandemic or lockdown, certainly compared with many other people. Um, so it, it hasn't been too bad. Um, during the first lockdown, it was quite tough on Ellie, my wife, um, because, of course, um, there was the homeschooling. Mm -hmm. And um, Zara, my, my daughter, um, you know, has autism to a quite serious degree. Mm -hmm. So it was really difficult for her and Zara, mm -hmm. um, although thankfully... After, after a few weeks, because Zara has um, an ECHP, um, you know, she was able to return to school and has mm. been going to school throughout the rest of the, the lockdown, the pandemic, yes. which she really likes. You know, she likes going to school. Yes. Um, so that was really stressful for, for Ellie. Mm. Um, for me, it, it was odd because obviously being like a key worker, I, I was going to work. Mm. So um, during the first lockdown, I was was going in. Mm. The second lockdown, more recently, I've only had to go in sort of one to two to three days a week. Mm. So I've had two days, even three days a week, actually working from home. Oh, good, good. Is um, that okay for you? Yeah, so um, it, that, that's been quite good in a way because like a lot of people, you know, I, I have a commute, it's about 90 minutes each way. So it's sort of, you suddenly realise that you're spending three hours of your mm. working day commuting. Yes. And, um, you know, it sort of enabled me to reconnect a little bit more with, with my family. Yeah. Um, and I've sort of gone for local, local walks and been able to do, you know, more, more thinking really, mm. um, just mm. like a lot of people. Sometimes I feel I'm so busy that I don't have time to really think and reflect. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite good. 
I mean, both of us have really had to get used to using Zoom and Skype and Microsoft Teams. And <laughs> for Ellie, that's been really quite hard because she's had to switch her, you know, her clients to either Zoom or Skype. Um, and she's found that quite, quite difficult for me. I always used to think that, you know, Zoom and Skype and Microsoft Teams were for other people. But <laughs> over the last year, I think like most people, I think I've finally managed to, to get to grips with it. Um, but I still prefer face-to-face. -face. I, yes. I still find, actually, that for me, I'm better in face-to-face -face interactions than mm. on Zoom or Teams or whatever. Yeah. So that's been a realisation for me. Mm. Um, Good, good. But um, yeah, my you know my heart goes out to people that have lost mm. you know loved ones or or who have experienced serious illness through through COVID. I mean, it's it must be so hard for them. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, third question: What is your f favorite Bible passage or a passage that means a lot to you at this time? Um, and then your favourite hymn. My, yeah, it's a, that's a really difficult one, actually, because in truth, I probably don't have a favourite Bible passage. The one that I've chosen that does come to mind is from Luke um, chapter 5, verse, verse 8. And it's, um, you know, it's Peter, um, um, who says to Jesus, um, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And um, Jesus goes on to say, don't be afraid. And from now on, you'll be, you know, um, basically, um, you know, fisher of men. Mm. Um, but for me, that actually is quite a profound statement where, you know, Peter just realizes that you know he is sinful mm. Mm. and um you know he, he he just realizes that and jesus goes on to accept him and reassure him mm. but then of course peter goes on to disown jesus later on mm. and he's not actually there when you know jesus probably needs him yeah and um <clears throat> i think it's interesting that you know, nonetheless, you know, Peter went on to be, you know, the, the rock that the church was built on. Yes. And um, I think that's interesting because, uh, you know, he must have felt quite bad when he yes. disowned Jesus. And, you know, I guess it's the, you know, he, but nonetheless, at the end of the day, you know, he went on to, you know, achieve great things in, in Jesus's name. But for me, that's sort of the Holy Spirit really convicting mm. um, Peter of sin. Mm. And um, I, th I think that's sort of really quite moving, actually, that yeah. passage. Yes. Uh, that's a very profound passage, isn't it? Of recognising our status before the Lord. And um, I think it's remarkable and so encouraging that there was this flawed man that Jesus saw face to face yeah. and said mm. he became the first Bishop of Rome and oh. uh, Petros, the uh, rock, a man who was remarkable, who, who was so flawed in many ways. And it's interesting how like God has used flawed people and 
you know, the, the very people you have invited to dinner have had their flaws. Mm. And um, but God has honed them and shaped them and taken them beyond their flaws. And it's such an encouraging message of redemption, despite the flaws. OK, what about a hymn, William? Yeah, again, that, 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 that is a really difficult one. Um, I love hymns, but um, yeah, I mean, probably got several favourites. Mm. Um, um, I'd probably go for Oh Jesus, I Have Promised, I think. That, that's the hymn I'd probably go for. Yeah, that's a beautiful one. Um. I'd, in terms of that's often used at baptismal services, isn't it? That hymn. Yeah. Um, and I love the tune, and I'm just trying to rack my brains. It's the modern version. Yeah, I think is it the war Walter? And um, there's there's several versions. Um, it's the um, yeah. I think I probably prefer the 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 more traditional version yeah. actually, but there is the modern one. I know. <laughs> All right, we'll have to use the traditional one next time. I'm choosing it for you. Lovely, beautiful words. Uh, can is there a sentence in there that means a particular point to you in the the stanzas of those hymns? Not really. No, no. I think um, I think it's one that uh, him that you know obviously um, sang at school quite a lot, mm. um, and then um, yeah, it was it was the one you know when when I was baptised that was was sung. So yeah okay my fourth and final question so you're a, a father of teenagers you're involved in uh, youth ministry so i'm going to ask you what are the key issues for young people in this era and what hope does christianity offer to them and how do you see cbc supporting young people into the future big questions <laughs> that's about yes. questions in one yeah, three three questions really, <laughs> but these can be broken down into three questions. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm obviously I'm a, I'm a dad, you know, um, two children, one 16, one 14, or almost fourteen. Um, in my job, actually, you know, I have colleagues who are in their, you know, a lot of colleagues are in their thirties or twenties or even late teens, so. You know, um, while I'm working, I'm, I have quite a lot of contact with, you know, probably with, you know, that younger generation. Um, so it's quite interesting because you, you know, you, you, you get to know them a bit and sort of get sort of almost like keep you young, you know, and you, you, it's quite interesting sometimes talking with them. I think actually uh, young people, secular or Christian, do face an awful lot of challenges these days. Mm. um i really do um you know it's obviously technology the internet social media which are here to stay so you know they're not going to go away yeah um you know they raise um issues um i think for christian young people i mean i think it's really tricky these mm. days um because um you know, Christian, you know, Christian way of life, at least, you know, um, in mainstream Christianity is sort of out of sync with, you know, um, some of the cultural norms of, 
um, you know, mainstream Western society. Um, I won't, you know, won't go into the detail, but there are a number of issues which, you know, um, I think Christian young people um, have to face. Um, and indeed, where sometimes there are different views. Um, and um, I think it's really difficult. Um, so in a way, my heart does go out to, to young Christian young people. Um, I mean, what the church can do, um, it, it, it's a difficult one. I don't, I don't profess really to, to know the, the full answer. I mean, I think, I think we do need to listen to, to young people. Mm. Um, and perhaps sometimes we don't, um, but I just mean that generally, I mean, if you're out and about, and, mm. you know, if you're working with, with young people, mm. I think you do need to listen. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so I, I, I think also you need to try to have an open mind as well and be non-judgmental. Mm. Yeah. Although I would apply that to, to anyone actually, not just yeah. a young person. Um, I think the church, the church, when I say the church, I mean, you know, the, the, the church universal really needs to be, needs to identify and encourage those in the church who have the gift of working with young people. Um, because I think some people are called to that, that working and, and, um, Others of us, you know, probably aren't. Um, so I think churches really have to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the reality is that if you're a church and you don't have a, already have a base of young people, then it's very hard to build up on, mm. on that because like so many things, the more young people you have, the more young people are attracted Mm. because it's vibrant mm. um so i think that's one of the, the the issues i do also think that for the the older generation um and, you know, I, i'd include myself within that bracket um i think sometimes we have to we have to step aside and um you know, recognise that things have changed mm. and sometimes the way of doing things, you know, has to be changed as well. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it is very easy to sort of want to do things the same way. Yeah. And there's always the danger of a church sort of sticking to its guns and wanting things done in a traditional way. Yeah. Um, but the danger is that ultimately you can lose your young people and um mm. you know the young young people really are the future of the the church both you know church like Elb Lane but also you know the church generally mm. um and I think one of the hardest things actually is you know it's it, it, I think you can have a, a good ministry with children but it is very very difficult because very often young people sort of you know almost like fall out when they get to a certain age um and i think that's where it is an issue yeah. um yes and also you know you can build up um 
um, young people in the church, but many of them, when they get to 18 or 19, will probably go to college or university mm. and then perhaps not return because they work elsewhere. So you have to almost continually be building up on that, yeah. that base. Yeah. Absolutely. I know there was some research done that uh, young people often come out of uh, university because there's lots of good churches usually in university cities towns and it's when they're in their first job that's when they begin to drift um, mm-hmm. and I think you're right you know we really need to listen to young people the ability just to stop and pay attention I love what you had to say about non-judgmentalism and encouraging um youth ministers, youth pastors, youth workers. Um, I think, I mean, I think with my own family, I, I changed. I never forget a church in South Wales that I had connections with. It was um, in Merthyr Tidville and one of the youth workers there, it was a church uh, that didn't have any children in it. And it was a Sunday evening service and 15 young people came into the church service and uh, their youth leader was an 85-year-old lady called Beryl, who I met. And, um, and actually, they had the support of Youth for Christ from Cardiff. And it really, they looked to someone like her. And I, I think, you know, I agree with what you're saying about tradition and versus, you know, progressiveness. Ultimately, it seems to me that the... The, the care, the teaching, the discipling, the loving by the youth leader is critical and their peers. Um, and that you could have the liveliest church or the most traditional. If that isn't there, uh, there's a problem. And um, yeah. yeah, so yes. and you, that's a big challenge, as you say, about the older generation, which includes us, uh, the way we do things and sometimes uh, letting go and letting the new generation come in. thats These are great challenges, William. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, your guests, uh, your deep faith with us. We, we really appreciate you and your family and all you do. You're a, a real blessing to us. And, uh, and I hope our listeners uh, just have got to know you a bit better through this podcast. Thanks, William. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Thank you.